BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Men at Acme. Today's episode is very interesting and deep, I feel like. Um, we have Logan Uri who is a behavioral scientist. She's really smart. She went to Harvard. So you know she's legit. Um, And she is at Hinge kind of, you know, handling their behavioral science of the relationships, which is huge. So I feel like there's a lot to be learned in this episode. I definitely learned a lot from her. But before we get into Logan, I'm going to answer some of your questions that you had submitted this week. The first one was, what's your opinion on how engagement should go and how involved the girl should be? This is so funny because I feel like this has been coming up a lot. And I guess it's just because I'm like at that age. But I definitely am traditional when it comes to this stuff. I feel like like I don't want to go like ring shopping with my partner. Like I, as a, as the woman, like I don't want to be too involved with that stuff. I think there is this part of me that still kind of wants to be surprised and maybe that's unrealistic and like stupid, but I feel like there's still some sort of like specialness about genuinely being surprised. And like, that doesn't mean that he shouldn't ask people what he should get you and things like that. Like, obviously he shouldn't just surprise you with a random ring that you've never seen before. There should be some like guidance and whatever. And like, that's why it's so important to tell your sisters and your and like your friends and your moms and, you know, people close to you what you want. But I think that, you know, if it were up to me, like I would never have to bring up like, okay, when is this happening? And, and instead just kind of, you know, have comforting conversations around the future. And then that's like the one part where they have to kind of take the lead. So that's where I stand on it. But again, like maybe that's unrealistic. I know very close friends of mine who had to literally straight up say like, okay, when is this happening? Or, you know, give me a timeline or like, have you bought a ring type of thing or who went with them to buy a ring and like it worked out for them too. So I think it totally depends. Someone asked, is age just a number in dating? AKA, is the 30-year-old boy still immature? I think this really varies. I know mature 30-year-old men slash boys, and I know a very young 30-year-old man or boy. I don't know why we're saying boy. I feel like we have to call them men at this point, even if they're immature. But I think it totally depends. I think you kind of know if someone is still immature or not 
based on the friends they keep, where they're at in their professional life and like how happy they are, how like self-sufficient they are. Do they live alone? Do they, you know, make their own doctor's appointments and do their own things? Or like, are they still reliant on their parents for a lot of things and not super independent? Like, do they still really care what their friends think? Um, that's not a good sign. Do they still have a lot of shit that they haven't dealt with? Like that's that's a huge sign, I think, of an immature 30-year-old guy. Like if they haven't, you know, I'm like a huge proponent of therapy, but like if they haven't like looked inward and kind of healed, like I feel like so many guys have trauma that they just push away and ignore. Even it could be as something as little as like losing a loved one a long time ago that they never faced. Um, and so like if they've faced all their like demons that I feel like they're more likely to be more mature, could have, it could even be like a divorce that they haven't like dealt with that their parents went through. Dating a night owl when you're a morning person. Um, well, this was hard. When I first started dating my partner, he was the night owl and I was the morning person. And he definitely has converted me. Although I did wake up this morning at like 7.30 and I felt really nice. But I think that you kind of have to find like a middle ground if you want to go to bed together and wake up together. Um, Otherwise, it could create resentments. Like in a past relationship, I would always, you know, wake up early and, and go do something and they would be in bed until like 12 and I would come back and they would still be in my bed and I'd be like, oh, this is such a turnoff. So I think it's important to try to be on the same page with that stuff. Somebody asked, how do you ask for alone time without offending your partner? It's hard because I feel like they're going to be offended at first, no matter what. I remember my partner and I had this conversation at one point. Um, You know, we've spent like every minute together for a year, pretty much. And he said something like, I just want to know that we like can be apart. And I was like, what the fuck? Of course we can be apart. Like, that's so disrespectful, like blah, 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 that you've been feeling this. And then I was like, yeah, obviously we can be apart. But like, I think at first you're just like, you're just mad that they're the one that said it first, if that makes any sense. And then you're like, okay, obviously I agree. Like, you know, it's important to have time apart as long as it's not time apart because of like something sus or red flaggy. But if it's just time because you want to like be disgusting and like do you, then then that's totally fine. Um, and if you have the resources to like go somewhere else or like parents nearby that you can stay with for like a few days, like it's the best thing you can do for your relationship is like give it some time to miss each other. Why is 23 the worst year? Someone asked. Well, 23 is the worst year. It's it's like that Blink-182 song, Nobody Likes You When You're 23. But it's really true because you have just graduated from college, but you're not. So you're like, you're an adult. You're not like a, like you didn't just graduate, but you're also not an adult, like a real adult. You haven't established yourself career wise. So you're kind of in this weird limbo. You probably still live with your parents. At least I did. And you just like, you have these like college habits that you still have. You, You don't know. We don't have healthy habits yet. Um, this is when I like first started seeing a therapist. I was definitely depressed and just like not doing well. I was really naive with guys. I think it's just like your biggest learning year and no one takes you seriously as much as they should. And like looking back, I'm like, oh my God, no wonder they didn't take me seriously at 23. Like I had no clue what I was doing. 
I remember there was a woman, I worked at this company and there was like an older woman and she was always like picking on me or like it's that's how that was my narrative of it. But like looking back, I just like, I had no, I was like, I was an easy target because I was always fucking up. And now I think of all like the 23 year olds I know and it's like the same thing. It's just like, it's a rite of passage and it'll get better. How I transformed into secure attachment. Um, it's a great question. I... I definitely had avoidant attachment for so long. And I think... um, And if you don't know what I'm talking about, we have old episodes on this. One is with Amy Chan and one is with Chrissy Ford. And there's a book called Attached that you should totally buy. Um, It's on our website. And I... Like I definitely had avoidant attachment. I was just like scared of getting close with anyone. Like I only wanted to be with people who like dipped a toe in so that there wasn't pressure for me to be fully in... I think it really just, it comes with like maturity and with going to therapy and working on yourself and like eventually finding the right person. But it's funny because I just talked about this on a podcast recently. Like, yes, I have all these rules to like not get hurt and this and that. But I feel like, you know, on the other side, it's like getting hurt is what led me to now having secure attachment because you have to kind of like experience that like bad attachment and anxious attachment and avoidant attachment. And like, you have to go through all of that to kind of finally recognize what secure attachment looks like. Dating app tips help us single gals in the city date during COVID. Well, I feel like you should definitely be on the apps if you aren't already. And I say this all the time, but like, don't take them seriously. Like meaning make a jokey profile. Like when you're messaging someone, message them as if you're messaging your friend. Like don't be so formal with it. Um, If you can't think of anything to put on your profile, then like you should definitely let a friend who's in a relationship do it because they have the most fun with it because they never get to experience it. I also do dating app profile consultations on our website, we met at acme.com and give dating advice on our Patreon, patreon.com slash we met at acme. Can you talk about your best friends treating you different in groups and how to deal? We did a poll question on this and a lot of people said that their friends treat them differently in groups rather than one-on-one. I think this is also a sign of just like your friends being insecure and immature. And But I will say like something that you realize as you get older is like you never have to be around people who don't make you feel good. Like you never have to be around those friends. And it could be confusing for you because it could be like your college group. It could be like your high school friends. It could be, you know, like your work friends. Like it could surprise you who it is, but it's all about how they make you feel. And if they don't make you feel good, you should not hang out with them. And like, it's not high school. You don't have to be in the group. Like you will always find your people. So don't do it to yourself. And you know they don't deserve you if that's how they're making you feel. How to party after COVID sober. What non-alcoholic drinks do you order on dates? Um, I'm a Diet Coke gal, but I know a lot of sober ladies and guys who like mocktails. Um, It's not really for me. It's like not worth the sugar and the headache for no reason. But yeah, I like Diet Cokes and I party by listening to really good music. So that's why I loved going to Acme so much because the music was so good that I didn't need to be fucked up to dance. And so when there's good music, I'm like the happiest person. And when I'm at a party with bad music, it's so awful for me because all I can focus on is how drunk everyone's getting. And that's not fun. 
My boyfriend gets drunk and says things he doesn't mean, good things and bad things. Um, I've been there and I would say this person has a problem and you should probably look into that. Where to take things after several dates, conversations to have, how serious, how often, etc. I think after several dates, you should be talking every day. I don't think it should be that serious, but I think that that's like when you start to like, you know, kiss on the lips when you see each other. And you should be talking to this person a lot if it's leading to something serious. But conversations to have, I think you should just be like starting to open up to each other and hear about each other's lives and like vibe with each other and laugh together. I don't think, you know, as I've mentioned a million times, you should be saying like, so where is this headed? Um, Just enjoy it and, and like observe how you feel when you're around them. I'm going to turn it over to Logan because she has lots of wisdom for you to hear. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts. We did a poll question the other day and the answer shocked me. It was really geared towards women. And it was like, do you flush your tampons down the toilet or do you put them in the garbage? And most people flush them down the toilet. And I'm not going to lie. I have been guilty of that myself. And it's really not okay. It's not sustainable. It's just bad for the environment. And it's bad for your like drainage system. It's just not good. But I have a solution for you. Athena Club, if you haven't heard of them, Athena Club believes that you never have to stress about what's going in on or around your body meaning all of their products have gone through a rigorous development process to be completely clean and totally safe. They offer all of these safe and sustainable self-care essentials in one spot. They've got a wide range of products from body care to wellness to period care that we were just talking about, and they're all delivered exactly when you need them, free shipping always. So you never have to worry about running out to get your essentials when you need them. It's really so amazing And, you know, my favorite is the Athena Club Razor. And they've got this amazing cloud shave foam and great like dewy body lotion for afterwards. So like no razor burn when, you know, I decide to shave my legs once a month. And again, like they send everything straight to you. Every product is vegan and cruelty free. So you're not, you know, buying some shitty tampon at CVS and flushing it down your toilet and having guilt about the environment. Stop using razors that under deliver and switch to Athena Club. Sign up today and you'll get 20% off your first order if you go to athenaclub.com and use promo code ACME. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with promo code ACME for 20% off. Have you masturbated today? When is your favorite time to masturbate? Like, Are you a morning masturbator or a night masturbator, whatever you are, you need to be using Dipsy. If you haven't heard of Dipsy, it is this amazing app where you can find the sexiest, hottest stories that you like of your wildest dreams, honestly. It's an audio app. So kind of similar to Clubhouse, which by the way, you should totally be following. We met at Acme on but way sexier and will make you a lot hornier and designed to turn you on. Each Dipsy story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios. So you actually feel like you're right there. And it's like any fantasy that you have, whether it's like a tennis instructor fantasy or like a boss fantasy where you're the secretary 
Um, maybe those are just my fantasies. I don't know. But you know that you have some. And I'm telling you, you can find them on Dipsy. They've got so many to choose from. And they release new stories every week. So for listeners of the show, because I love you and I want you to explore your sexual health, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash Acme. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash Acme. Dipsystories.com slash Acme now. And tell me if you find a good story so I can check it out. Hey girl, hey, welcome to Taste of Taylor, my weekly podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Strecker. You might know me from Sirius XM Radio. I mean, I was there for like 12 years after all. But then Howard Stern allegedly got jealous of me, so I had to leave. I was actually able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and start my own podcast, Taste of Taylor, which is now officially with Dear Media. I'm so excited to say that. Ha! So I promise you in this podcast, you're going to either learn about something, you're going to be inspired by someone that's like always coming from a perspective of like humor, then this is the place for you. I hope you enjoy this little snack. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with Logan Yuri, the author of the book, How to Not Die Alone, which comes out February 2nd. She is a behavioral scientist turned dating coach and the director of relationship science at Hinge. Hey, Logan. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for coming on. So that was a mouthful. You are obviously crushing it. And I think our listeners want to hear a little bit about your background. So how old are you and where are you from? Yeah, I'm 33 years old and I'm from South Florida. Awesome. And how does one become a director of relationship science or a behavioral scientist in general? Like, what did you study in order to learn everything that you know now? Yeah, it's a great question. I ask myself this all the time. How did I wind up with this dream job? And I'm super lucky to be here. So I studied psychology at Harvard and I've been really interested in dating and relationships. Back in college, I took a sociology class and I decided to research the porn habits of Harvard students. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a paper called Porn to be Wild. So that was that sort of- is amazing. <laughs> yes, I, it was a really funny experience. And I remember just sending these emails to different lists at school, like who wants to be interviewed about their porn habits and got into some very funny conversations. And then- I can imagine. When I graduated college, I ended up working at Google and I was working kind of like in an entry level Google at the time called Google AdWords job, but I was managing the porn clients. So (laughs) my clients were uh, different sex toy operators and different porn sites. And our team was informally called the porn pod. And ever since then, I have kind of pursued this interest in dating and understanding how people get into relationships. And so at Google, what that looked like was starting the series called Toxic Google Modern Romance, where I would bring in people like Esther Perel, Dan Savage, uh, Dossie Easton, if you're familiar with her, she's a big polyamory person. Mm -hmm. And I started working as a dating coach on the side. And then all of that research turned into quitting my job in tech. So I was at Google and then Airbnb and just pursuing this full time. And What's different about my approach, what's different about the book is that it takes this field of behavioral science, how people make decisions, and this field of relationship science, what we know about love, it combines the two, and it says, 
knowing what we know about how people make decisions and knowing what we know about love, how can I help people make better decisions in dating and relationships? I love that. And what is your current relationship status? I am married. So I saw that you dedicated the book. I'm assuming that's your husband. That is my husband. Yes. Very cute. And how did you guys meet? Yeah, we have a very cute story. So we technically met in college and we know this because he wrote on my Facebook wall in 2007. So we had one lunch in college. The guy I was dating at the time was in a math class with him. Didn't see each other again for seven years. Uh, We were at Google. He came up to me at the shuttle and said, oh, you know, didn't you date so-and-so in college? And we reconnected at Google. And one day we were at a lunch and I was like, I'm trying to learn this coding language. And he said, oh, I just graduated or I just dropped out of a math PhD. I know that coding language. I can help you. And at the time I was chasing after this guy who was not at all interested in me, some guy from Burning Man, really into him, started seeing a dating coach. The dating coach helped me understand what I was really looking for. I was like, holy cow, that's what Scott is. That's who Scott is. And yeah, we went on a date shortly after that. And yeah, we got married last summer. Congratulations. Thank I have, so, there's so much to unpack there. <laughs> First, firstly, just because we are into our own kind of science on the podcast, when sure. is your birthday? Oh, my birthday is October 20th. Okay. So you're technically a Libra. Yes. And your husband's birthday is? October 4th. Also a Libra. Yeah. Wow. So it's so funny because people ask me all the time, because I'm a Libra as well. They'll be like, "Will you? would you ever date a Libra man? And I say no, but it's not because of like, everyone thinks it's like, oh my God, there must be something really bad about Libra men. No, I just like what's different than me, like to a new level. So not that like, not that you and your husband can't be different because you have the same sign. I mean, there's so much that factors into it, but like, I don't know. I just feel like as a Libra, I feel like, like there's an air of like charm about me. And I don't necessarily know if I want my partner to have an air of charm about him. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. And I think that my husband Scott and I are really different. And I think that mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what works. Like I care a lot about what people think of me. Yeah, I'm definitely a people pleaser. I'm really just paying attention to the people around me. And mm-hmm. Scott is the opposite. He hasn't had social media in four years. He is so confident in himself. He genuinely doesn't care what other people think. And he's just really focused on his goals. And I love how different we are. I think it, it just makes me admire him so much more because he has all these traits that I don't have. I love that. And I feel like this topic of like a partner of yours or of, you know, the general yours not being on social media keeps coming up, like just keeps coming up around me. And, you know, my, my, current partner. He's not on social media. Someone I just recorded with her boyfriend is not on social media. And I feel like it's such like, it's like really a special thing that you don't hear about anymore. Um, but it really, I mean, we just did a poll question yesterday, polling men who use social media too much. Like, is that a red flag? And I would say yes. And it's so funny because, um, you know, we both, know Jonah and I love him to death. And I hope he's listening to this so we could debate it later. But like Jonah uses social media so much. Like he's always posting on Instagram. And I think like part of the reason that 
maybe women answered like it's a red flag if a guy's using social media too much is because we, there is a bit of a double standard, right? And we look at like men using social media as like them trying to get attention. Whereas women using social media is just more like normal. And like, of course we would want attention. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why that is. I, I wonder like as a behavioral scientist, if you have any idea why we would judge men being active on social more than women. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, Lindsay, I think from listening to the podcast, I think you and I probably have a lot in common. And so it's interesting to me that like, we're both sort of more public figures and then have these partners that are like not at all trying to cultivate that public image and don't have a social media presence. I think that that's super interesting. And like, I bet we both find it attractive. I don't have as much of a commentary on like the male versus female thing, but I think that a lot of us, social media is part of our job and it's how we stay top of mind for people. It's the easiest way to put our information out there that helps people consume it. But like, do I think that social media is net positive for the world? Like probably not. So I really admire that my partner doesn't use social media. I feel like it's a sign that he's just living for himself and like not Mm. concerned with how other people see him. He's really present. Like I can't remember a time where I ever asked him to put his phone away. Like I'm always the one who, if either of us is on our phone, it's going to be me. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's just a super attractive quality to be like, I'm present. I'm not on my phone. I'm not performing for other people. I'm not living my life based on the metrics of how many likes I get and- I think that for for everyone, less social media is probably a sign of things going well in your life. Agreed. And I think people get so like weirded out by someone who's not on social media because they're like, well, what are they doing? Like, what do they do? There are so many things to do on your phone <laughs> other than social media too. Or like, in, life, st- or in life. Or in life, not- in life. Yeah. But let's say that their thoughts are like, oh my God, then what do you do on your phone? Right? Yeah. There's still like, you could watch YouTube videos all day. You could get into a YouTube hole and not have like a YouTube account. You can like read Reddit all day. You can, and I guess, I don't know, is that technically social media? Like there's just so many, you can be also like a viewer of social media. Like I know that my boyfriend who's not on Instagram, like he loves to see a good TikTok. Like he doesn't interact with it. He doesn't create any content, but like he'll laugh hysterically at a TikTok. Like there's so much to digest if you're not on social media. So like for anyone who's listening, who's like, oh, it would be really good for me to take a break from social media. There's nothing to be afraid of. Like there are other things to do to keep you entertained. I personally have had words with friends on my phone for my entire iPhone life. And it is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Oh yeah. I love everything you're saying. And I think we should flip the script on that. I think that there are probably people who are like, oh, if someone doesn't have social media, how can I make sure that they are who they say they are? I don't know what they're up to. And instead it's like, wow, that's the sign of a confident person who's living for themselves and not performing. And in general, I mean, I don't have scientific stats on this, but I feel like being on social media is the default, right? It's what most people do. So the type of person who says, I'm not gonna opt into that, to me, that's a sign of a thoughtful person who's saying, How do I want to spend my time on earth? Where do I want to invest my energy? Do I want to spend more time creating or consuming? Mm. And I would really recommend to people that they see that as a positive sign, at least of somebody who thinks for themselves. 
Totally. I agree. And just like the idea, it's, it's so interesting that you put it that way, creating versus consuming, because I feel like consumers on Instagram and maybe like we're getting too deep here and we're, we're going to go back to the book after because there's so many dating questions I want to ask you. Oh, but I'm happy, happy to go anywhere. Consumers are like as a creator, I wouldn't be able to do it without the consumers, obviously. Right. But the consumers have become a little bit entitled and hear me out here um, sure. because there's so there's so many things you could say about creators as well. But we recently did a poll question and I don't know how familiar you are with The Bachelor. And if you watch regularly, I like pop in and out with the series. But um, somebody said, Pilot Pete, who I guess was a Bachelor like two seasons ago, they were like, he just went through a breakup and he's posting all these things to make it look like he's fine. Does he owe it to his followers to tell the truth about what he's going through and how he's feeling, right? And we asked this as a question. And I'm pretty sure I have to look at the stats, but it was like 57% of people said, yes, he owes it to his followers and his fan base. And then I got a lot of DMs in response to that saying, why do we feel so entitled? It is his personal business. Why do we as you know, consumers, as followers feel so entitled to that information. And, and like, is that, I guess, like a bigger problem? Or do you think that that's justified to feel entitled if someone puts themselves out there as a creator, then you owe it to your consumers to be transparent, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's so many directions that I could take that question. I think part of it is that the Bachelor franchise, Bachelor Nation in and of itself, these are people who are choosing to live very public lives, at least for the show. So -hmm. there's sort of an expectation that like, you're going to live publicly, you're going to find love in quotation marks publicly. And so people want to follow along with you afterwards. But the reason why that logic is flawed is that all of these shows are so fake and edited in the first place that you were never actually getting an authentic view of that person. So the Mm. expectation that you would get it at any time, I think is flawed. And so there's a lot of performing authenticity. There's a lot of performing vulnerability. And I think that the truth is social media is always going to be a very curated slice of life into someone's world. And they are choosing what to put up and what to not put up. And so the assumption that that person owes you anything, I think is wrong. And instead, I think people would be better off realizing what I see in social media is what somebody's trying to project. And I never know the full story, nor am I owed the full story. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I was just thinking, you know, similar, and, and I guess you tied them both together, but similar to The Bachelor and, and you know, The Bachelorette and these dating shows and us never knowing the full story. When you see a couple on Instagram, you also don't know the full story. You see the photos that they post and, you know, they could be at a really low point. They could be really um, unhappy in their relationship. And maybe that's why they're posting or maybe they're posting more because of it. And then when they break up, you feel so confused. Like I remember when my ex and I broke up, so many people were like, I'm so confused. I thought you were going to end up together, blah, blah, blah. And it's it's very similar to the idea of when you go on a reality show, you only see like a part. It's like, you don't post oh yeah, we're like having a fight or like we have these troubles and whatnot. And 
I think like, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but I think it's just like once you break up with someone or something happens and you feel either a need to explain or the opposite and you don't want to explain, it's like, of course people are going to be confused as to why this happened. They're only seeing what is like the good and what you want them to see. And so I think there's just a lot of like transparency issues when it comes to Instagram. And that's why like you can't like idolize a couple on Instagram or whatnot. Oh yeah, Lindsay, I definitely agree. There's a part of my book where I talk about this type of person called the romanticizer. Mm -hmm. And there's someone who expects relationships to always feel the way they did in the beginning. They Mm. confuse falling in love with being in love. And I go through what are some of the reasons why these people are like this. And some of them you can probably imagine are things like rom-coms where people get really obsessed with the meat cute and we yeah. need to both reach for the perfect tomato at the farmer's market at the exact same time. Yeah. Or even Disney fairy tales where you're like, my Prince Charming will find me. So why do I have to put any effort into it? But social media is definitely up there. And I say in the book, don't compare and despair because you're mm-hmm. looking at the slice of life that someone's choosing to put up there. And like, nobody puts the picture of I'm staying up late at night, wondering if I should leave my girlfriend or we just got into a massive fight for the 10th time because I want to live in New York and she wants to live in Austin. Right. There's nobody's putting that up there. And I think not only is it confusing for the people viewing your Instagram, because people think that your life is one way and it's not. But I also think that for the people posting, there can they can experience this feeling of inauthenticity where they're like, I'm projecting one thing. People think my relationship is this, but actually my life is something completely different. And that delta between those two living in that space can feel really bad for people. Totally. And like the romanticizer is, is so real. And that's why so many people will have these like short lived relationships of like anywhere between three months to a year, because it's at the end of that where you're like, Oh, this isn't, you know, the Disney movie. And I, I want out. And I think men are just as guilty of that as women. And I've dated guys in the past who were like, ready to cut and run when it wasn't like sunshine and rainbows and like that lust feeling anymore, which is, which is such BS. I was so nervous when I took my extensions out because I was like, is my hair ever going to be as thick as it was when my extensions were in? But then I remembered that I just need to re-up on Function of Beauty because Function of Beauty is customized just for me and my hair to make sure that it's getting thicker and that it's getting more volumized. And all of the goals that I have are in these two bottles that I customized all on my own. And it's so amazing. And, you know, my hair has gotten longer, it's gotten thicker. And I don't feel embarrassed that it's, you know, kind of thin because I think that it looks so good. And I feel like Function of Beauty is a huge reason behind it. Um, If you haven't heard about Function of Beauty, it's the world leader in customizable beauty, offering precise formulations for your hair's specific needs. So basically redefining the term hair goals. Every ingredient Function of Beauty uses is vegan and cruelty-free. They never use sulfates or parabens. So like nothing that you could buy at a drugstore, um, you know, this is so next level and you're choosing everything about the shampoo and conditioner down to the smell, which 
you know, I love the rose smell. It just smells amazing. And you can use a hair mask that they'll send you and you use it once a month and it's just, you wash it out. It's amazing. You should never be buying off the shelf when it comes to your hair ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash Acme and take your quick hair quiz and save 20% on your first order. That applies to a full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash Acme. Let them know that we sent you from We Met at Acme and get 20% off your order when you go to functionofbeauty.com slash Acme. I don't know about you guys, but I've become a chronic online shopper in the pandemic. It's just like this little high that we need. Like there's nothing else, especially for me as a sober gal. But something that has been really frustrating for me is that I have to keep returning things over and over again because I just don't know that it's going to actually be cute in person. And that's why I am so grateful that I've been using Stitch Fix. If you haven't heard of Stitch Fix, they offer clothing that's hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. It's a totally different and fun way to find clothes that you will actually love to wear because every piece they choose is chosen for your fit and your life. And it's honestly just such an easy solution instead of having to like search for boxes in the basement of your apartment building and try to return everything. Or I don't know, maybe that's just me. But Stitch Fix will make it so that you don't have to return anything. But if you do you don't get charged for anything either. There's no subscription required. You just try Stitch Fix once or you can set up automatic deliveries. You pay just a $20 styling fee for each box and it gets credited towards pieces that you end up keeping with no hidden fees ever. You can try on all the pieces at home before you buy them, keep what you love and return what you don't. Free shipping, easy returns and exchanges and a prepaid return envelope is included because nobody has a printer. And if you do, let me know because I really need to borrow it. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash Acme and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash Acme for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash Acme. Check it out and um, let me know what you end up keeping. I want to go back to the book for a second. The title, which I love, is How to Not Die Alone, which is like so hysterical. And obviously, of course, someone is going to pick that up and need to read that immediately. Something that we've spoken a bit about on our Instagram is settling and like what settling actually is. And I read a title like How to Not Die Alone. And, you know, part of me is like, sometimes maybe you have to settle. And then and then I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, that's so not okay. Nobody should settle. And I forgot the exact wording, but we did a poll question recently and I'm going to see if I can find it. But it was basically like, do we settle because we're too afraid for it to be hard to date? And I wonder if there's anything in your book that touches on like, you know, lessons around settling, because I think people are so guilty of it, especially today when, you know, like, for example, I post an Instagram by myself and I get like a good amount of likes. I post an Instagram with my partner and it breaks the internet. Basically, it's like everyone only wants to see you in a relationship. At least that's how it comes across. So it's like how 
that culture makes you want to just have someone in a way. Like, how can you, um, from the standpoint of your book or just, you know, from what you do, like prevent against people just thinking that settling is, is okay? Yeah, I love this question. And settling is definitely something that people talk to me about all the time. And they'll say, am I too picky or am I not picky enough? It feels like people often fall into one of those extremes. So I spoke a little bit about the romanticizer, which is one of what I call the three dating tendencies. And so the framework there is in my work as a dating coach, I found that people often have these blind spots, things in their behavior, in their mindset, in their ways of thinking that are preventing them from finding love but it's a blind spot. They don't, they're not aware of them. And so like in the work I've done with them, I try to show them this is what's holding you back. And the three of them are the romanticizer, someone who has unrealistic expectations of relationships, the maximizer, someone who has unrealistic expectations of a future partner, and then the hesitator, somebody who isn't dating, isn't putting themselves out there because they have unrealistic expectations of themselves. The hesitator Mm. is the one saying, I'll date when I'm ready, I'll date when I lose 10 pounds, I'll date when I get a better job. So for your question about settling, it really makes me think of the maximizer because the maximizer is that person. I'm sure you have them in your life. Many people are maximizers that say, could I be 5% happier with somebody else? They're always wondering, you know, is the grass greener over there? And their biggest fear is settling. And so they have this story in their head. If only I date a bunch of people, if only I keep trading up, I'll eventually wind up with the perfect person and then I'll feel a hundred percent certain. And so instead of being a maximizer, which is a person who has to turn over every stone and feel like they've done all their research, there's a different that you can be called a satisficer. And so what a satisficer is, is somebody who sets a bar They can have super high expectations, but once they meet someone who meets those expectations, they say, this is great. I'm happy with this person. And they are satisfied in that relationship as opposed to the person who's always saying what else could be out there. So it's not that I think that people should quote unquote settle and lower their expectations. It's that I think one of the big problems is even when people meet someone great, they constantly wonder who else could I be with? So I don't like the word settling. I think it makes people feel like they're not getting what they want or that they've somehow lost some contest that they're in. And instead, what I would say is be open-minded about who you want to be with. Be open to the fact that you might be wrong about the type of person who will make you happy. And then when someone does make you happy, invest in that relationship. Don't wonder what else is out there. Yeah. But the satisficer, to me, it sounds like a synonym in a way for settling. And I'll tell you why. Because you mentioned like, you know, if somebody has a standard or a list or I forgot how you said it, but you said it in a better way, like things that they hold the person to like, for example, let's say I was like, I really want, you know, a guy who is very educated, is very smart, is funny, um, you know, has normal friends, comes from a nice family, um, is over six feet, right? Let's say that those are the things that I want. And let's say that I get those things. And so because I get those things, I am quote unquote satisfied, Mm -hmm. but, and I, you know, decide to date that person or, you know, marry that person, let's say. But 
that's just me saying, okay, they have this, this, and this. That has nothing to do with, okay, they make me feel this, this, and this way. And we recently had an episode where we spoke with a woman, Tanisha Wood, and she's a dating coach as well. And she basically said that when she was looking for her partner, she was like, here's how I want to feel. She's like, I want to feel, I want to laugh so hard that like my stomach hurts when I'm with my partner who's, you know, quote unquote, the one. And for me, I feel like that's so much more important. Like I would rather feel laughter and feel good and feel like I'm lucky 10 out of 10 times than I'd rather feel like, yes, I'm with someone with a good family. Yes, I'm with someone who's over six one. Yes, I'm with someone who's smart, you know? Um, And the best case scenario is when like you feel both. Like you feel like you've gotten all those things and you feel that way. But do you know what I mean in terms of like not bringing the feeling into the standards? I actually did listen to that episode and I thought that part was so great. And you were saying like, I'm the same way. I really need someone who makes me laugh. And you were talking about like the difference between what you need versus what you want. And like, Mm -hmm. I think you said making someone who makes me laugh is a need. Someone with a British accent is a want. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I'm so glad you brought this up as a kind of subtle nuance. So when I talk about satisficing, I'm talking about somebody who says, I have expectations for my partnership. And when I find someone like that, I'm going to invest in it and not say what else is out there. But that doesn't mean that what those expectations are, are things like must be over six feet tall, must have a, must have graduate degree, you know, must have this religion, not at all. A big theme of my book is throw out your checklist. You're probably wrong about what you want. And I have this chapter called look for the life partner, not the prom date. And the whole Mm. point of that is that I think people often start dating in their teens. You know, they look for the person who's attractive, fun, someone who would look good in prom photos, someone they want to have sex with. And then they never actually make that mental switch to dating the type of person that's going to be a long-term loyal life partner. And the things that matter are things like what side of you that person brings out. Can you make hard decisions together? Is that person loyal? Is that person emotionally stable? And so I'm really glad you asked this question and brought up this point because when I say satisficing and having a bar and does somebody meet that bar, it doesn't have anything to do with this resume list of I want them to be six feet tall and earn six figures. Instead, it's about the important stuff, like what side of me do they bring out? And that's something that I'm really trying to focus on in my dating coaching is what can you do during the date and after the date to help you figure out what side of you somebody brings out instead of focusing on things like, are they good enough for me? Do they check all the boxes? Yeah. I really like that. I felt like Yeah. In every different relationship I've been in, a different side of me has come out, I would say. And I think in my current relationship, like it's not just one side of me that it brings out. Maybe that's just a me thing and I have like too many sides to me. But it's like all of the good sides of me are brought out. And I used to think that that was a reflection on yourself. Like, oh, if you're with someone and they bring out a bad side of you, like that's on you. Like that's your fault for having that bad side and you need to work through that. But no, I think that, you know, you're right. It's, it's, it says so much about the relationship, what side of you they bring out, whether it's like a protective side or like a motherly or domestic side 
or a, you know, controlling side, whatever it is. Um, I think it's super reflective on the relationship. So I really like that. And I want to ask you some rapid fire questions. But before I do that, just to recap on the book, if somebody is going out and getting the book right now, and if they could take one thing away from this book, what would you hope for it to be? Ooh, let me think. I've definitely thought about a few for people who have read it. I'm thinking about the things that stand out to them. And I gave a talk last year with the stuff from the book and people were literally chanting. I don't know if you want me to curse on the podcast. Please but they were, curse. They were chanting, fuck the spark. Oh. And that's a chapter that's really taken off with people. And there's all these myths around the spark. The fact that when you meet, you have to have instant chemistry. If you have instant chemistry, it's a sign the relationship's going to last. If you have a great how we met story, then you're meant to be together. Instead, I really encourage people to go after the slow burn. That person who the more you spend time with them, the more you like them, the more they grow on you. I feel like those are often the best relationships. And those are the people probably relates back to what we were talking about at the beginning. I bet a lot of slow burns don't have social media. And sometimes when you meet that person and you have that crazy spark, it might be that they give the spark to everyone because they're really hot and charismatic, or maybe they're Mm. narcissistic and they are focused on making everyone fall in love with them. And too many times I hear people say, oh, he was great, but I just didn't feel the spark. And instead, I recommend people make a default rule of go on two dates with people that you meet and you'll see what unfolds over time. And you're likely to uncover some hidden gems that other people miss because they weren't sparky. I like that. Would you say it's impossible to find a spark and slow burn, like a two-in-one? That's a good question. I mean, the way that I define slow burn in the book is somebody who doesn't immediately give that like super charismatic, sparky feeling. So I think that it's sort of the spark versus a slow burn. But I think that there are people who could spark with someone and be slow burn with someone else. I think the most important thing is to realize that if you just are going on dates, checking your pulse saying, did I feel my heart rate going up? Did I feel the spark? Then you're doing dating wrong. And dating is about do I enjoy time with this person? Do I enjoy the side of me that they brought out? Am I curious about them? Would I maybe want to kiss them one day? And it's much more about being in the moment and experiencing versus what I call evaluating, evaluating the person. Are they good enough? Evaluating the date. Did I feel the spark? Mm, That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Let's do some rapid fire. Sure. These are more like yes or no type things, um, but I'll read you the options. Is there such thing as being really good at sex or is it just knowing what the other person likes and doing it slash having a connection? Yes, you can be really good versus knowing what the other person likes. I would say, yes, there's probably people who could be really good at sex with everyone because maybe they're like particularly athletic or have very developed skills. But usually what makes sex good is tuning into the other person, focusing on their experience and their pleasure. And so Mm -hmm. what could make somebody good at sex from a skills perspective is actually paying attention to their partner. Okay. Significant other gets dressed every time after sex immediately. Red flag or no big deal? No big deal. Do you watch TV with subtitles? Yes or no? Always. (laughs) 
you and your partner argue about sleeping together. They say you keep them up because you try to cuddle throughout the night, but you get irritated because you sleep better when they stay with you. Who should compromise, you or your partner? Sleep matters for health, mood, everything else. I would prioritize sleep and then spend time together during the day. Mm, Agreed. Okay. Your significant other is trying to quit the jewel or let's say like a bad habit and keeps almost caving. Is it shady or helpful if you throw out the thing that they, you know, are a little addicted to or without telling them? I think because some vices can be addictions, that might be hard. It might not be supportive to force the person to go cold turkey. I think there's a lot of healthier ways to support someone quit a bad habit. Mm -hmm. Have you ever faked an orgasm? Yes or no? No. Good girl. (laughs) They don't need, guys don't need more praise. Is it normal for a heterosexual couple to move where the woman's family is from? Or is that outdated? Oh, I don't even know about that as a stereotype. I would say people should move wherever they want to move based on their priorities. And that's definitely something people should talk about before getting married. Yeah, I agree. Okay. And then very lastly, but definitely not least, Logan, do you have a quote or piece of advice that you can share with our listeners that you really like? Maybe it's it's something from the book or maybe it's just something that you live by. Ooh, I love that. Okay, well... I'm not going to quote myself and say, fuck the spark, although I do love that. There's a quote by Esther Perel that I love, which is the quality of our relationships defines the quality of our life. Relationships are our story. Write well and edit often. I love that. I love Esther Perel. She is a goddess. Absolutely. Yes. She's uh, had a big influence on the book and a lot of the stuff that we talked about today, particularly around how to go on a date and not be checking your pulse and saying, do I feel the spark is, is very influenced by my, my work with her and our interviews. And yeah, anyone who likes Esther Pearl, I hope that they like those parts of the book. Love it. Logan, where can everyone find you, follow you and get a copy of the book? Yes. So How to Not Die Alone is available on Amazon, indie bookstores. You can get the Kindle book. You can get the audiobook, which I read. And you can follow me everywhere at at Logan Yuri, L-O-G-A-N-U-R-Y. Awesome. Thank you so much. 